The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you both. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Mitch. Good morning, guys. So, you know, it's interesting at the end of last year, um, you know, we're all uh, concerned about affordability and interest rates and all of that sort of thing. And Canada holding steady, very mum cards close to the chest. The U.S., on the other hand, saying that yeah, we could see three cuts next year or maybe even they are planning three cuts next year. However, it all depends on inflation. And I'm not sure that's going in the right direction, Don. You got some new information there. Well, again, this this week, uh, they anticipated inflation rates in the U.S. to be around 3.2. Uh, came out at 3.4. Not a massive difference, but still in the wrong direction. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Scott? Things are very hard to predict at the best of times. In fact, I'll be talking about that a little later. But it's uh, mm-hmm. at least the U.S. is suggesting three rate cuts. And yes, uh, the rates are significantly higher than what the inflation rate is. So they're still trying to cool the economy. But in the U.S., this economy has done extremely well. If anything, uh, the Canadian is less robust, if you will. So let me let me ask you this, Don. Are Americans suffering, uh, feeling the pinch as much as Canadians are? Not at all. Absolutely yeah. not at all. They they are in a different world and particularly because of their mortgages. So yeah. they are locking up the mortgage rates for 25 to 30 years. We don't have that. So you're seeing Canadians who are on are the line of credits that are at 7.2 if you're at prime, which most aren't, and you're seeing mortgage rates. So when they come for renewal, somewhere between you know high fives to high sixes for a five-year mortgage. So, and if they go variable, you know, they're still in the six and a half to 7% range. So it's compared to where it was a few couple of years ago, where you're getting 2% mortgages, it's a, it's a big, you know, cold water throwing on your, on your face kind of thing, because it's, it's expensive. And the reality is things are emotional. People are with, when it comes to money, money's emotional. So they made a lot of purchases that were emotional during the pandemic. And they're now paying for that. So talk about emotional. Ra- raising a kid is kind of emotional, isn't it, Mitch? I I wouldn't know, but uh, I mean, obviously, obviously, asking obviously the wrong, you, asking yeah. the wrong fox here. I, I got to live it through the other side there, but um, yeah. yeah, obviously you would you would know. So I, I I don't know about the readiness for new parents, but I do have a bunch of steps for new parents, as I do have people my age. Um, including some friends right now about to have kids. So I told them I'd do a, a nice segment for them today on the radio show. <laughs> um, but yeah, having a kid, there's a lot to it, a lot more than just having a kid and just kind of winging it and going into it with a plan is certainly going to be beneficial. Adding a family member can be expensive. There are lots of costs and costs to raising a kid and educate them as well. And everything adds up from daycare, diapers, hockey equipment, or even the added costs of a vacation for three or four versus mm-hmm. just the two of you. And so I know quite a few people went on vacation for New Year's. So I'm sure, um, I mean, my friends included, they're just going to have a kid. So I'm sure they're um, thinking about what it's going to cost next year for when they have three to go on those trips instead. Yeah. Everything adds up. 
and having that extra mouth to feed can certainly be stressful. The, the average family spends $282,000 to raise a kid to 18 years old um, from, from, from born, and which is about $15,560 per year and $1,305 a month. And that's just for one kid. I'd say whenever someone has one kid, they're, they're typically having another. So you're looking at uh, once you have two kids, you have $2,600 a month extra that you're not putting away into investments. You're not um, spending on yourselves um, for living expenses because they've gone pretty high these these days with inflation. Just mentioned went up up to 3.4. And that's I mean, it's down from the nine, eight or nine percent, but it's gone up the lot in the last past year so having $2,600 uh, extra per month going somewhere else can certainly add some stress and that doesn't count the unforeseen events as well so when a kid's sick and your partner has to miss work uh, that doesn't count the missed income that you also just had to account for so you're, you're talking $1,300 a month for one kid but if they miss school or they and they need child care um, and you have to stay home uh, that's that's even more that it's going to cost you as well so it's good to have contingency plans and easy access to emergency funds that are really available to protect your family and their budget. So really, you know, it comes down to maybe having a contingency fund and planning it. So do you think anybody in kind of your generation, Mitch, are saying, you know what, we're going to forego trips and we're going to have put money aside um, for that kid just so that we're ready? Is that happening? <laughs> uh Maybe not at this stage, but uh, the ones that are going to have a kid, like they haven't actually had the kid officially yet, but they're pretty close. And uh, I know one of them, he's, he's very smart. So he's, he's definitely putting money aside and they're, but yeah, I mean the, the majority of them, they're still going on those trips right now, <laughs> and, <laughs> especially and being I, in Canada and we're seeing some snow now. So, so yeah. And you know, it's still, I think a lot of this is social media driven, you know, you just see so many, Instagram posts of people traveling and it's they almost get a double trip you take the trip itself on one side and you get this dopamine hit because you're on social media hey you know what we need to do we need to start like a social media page it sort of tells the story so what we can do is collect all of the images of people opening up their visa bills or uh <laughs> you know or uh, uh, or the couple arguing over money or you know something like yeah. that it might be kind of fun Next, like, next to the picture of Disney, it'd be good to get like <laughs> live react, live reaction shots to their uh, holiday credit card bills. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, yeah, that would be great. A good social media page right there, Scott. <laughs> but the best thing to do is to start a financial plan if you haven't already, and if you have, that's great. But you should rethink it. Um, start a baby-focused financial plan and take a fresh look at your spending priorities. Uh, maybe you're not going on that trip anymore, and uh, you should start putting money away and understand the impacts of an unpaid parental leave, uh, possibly to take care of the kids. So you're not earning as much income as well. And having a financial planner can really help with this as we go through income expenses with all of our clients. And cash flow is a large part of any financial plan. That's really the opportunity of your financial plan of how much you can put away and how much you can't and where you can save money. So life's always changing and your plan is going to be changing with it as your life does. So before having a kid, uh, running a what if scenario in your plan 
it can really create some clarity. Our planning software is incredible for this. You can really uh, very quickly change to, okay, this is your plan with a kid. This is how much you have left over. And now we're going to add a kid to the plan. And this is how much you now have. And this is how how much you can afford to maybe go on trips, how much you can pay for hockey, how much you can put into their education savings plan and everything that you have left over for yourselves as well. And so necessities and luxuries expenses as well. And even ha having a kid, you, 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 you do want to focus on the expenses of that kid, but you can't just totally negate your retirement planning as well. So you're, you're still going to have to put money away for your, for your retirement. <clears throat> so you can't, have a just totally baby focused financial plan, but making sure that you, let's, let's see what your cash flow is going to be like when you do have a kid so that you're still uh, having your retirement plan in place uh, as well as any other goals you may have. Um, but obviously having a kid is going to change your goals. So, um, so that's something that you're going to have to factor into your plan as well. Another thing that you'd want to add to your financial plan is insurance. And that's going to be life insurance as well as disability. So adequate insurance is very important and life insurance can help protect your family by making sure that your financial resources are available to them if you no longer are. So if you, if you pass away, this is going to give you the peace of mind to your partner and loved ones that, that uh, they're going to be taken care of. So the payout from a policy can potentially cover things like your survivors are going to have to pay for when you're gone, such as your mortgage, your school tuition, or maybe a future wedding for your child. And in some circumstances, your life insurance that you choose with your financial planner can also be another sleeve into your investment portfolio, can build a cash value as well. You know, and that's a good point, Mitch. The insurance part, you know, it's to, as an individual and you're even as a couple with no kids, quite often if one were to pass away, the other is not financially hurt. And you think, okay, well, there's no point in really leaving enough insurance. They might have mortgage insurance, so they could, you know, leave a, a, a free and clear house, but there isn't anybody financially independent, uh, dependent on you because they're both working per se. And, and they both were fine before, and they just actually, they're better shape now because they're, they were, you know, they intermingled their money, but having a kid is a totally different scenario. Now you're going to say, okay, I may have to cut back hours. I have education, I have daycare. Um, we, we had to get a second car, whatever the case is. And so all this, all of a sudden you become financially dependent on each other. And this is where insurance, doing a total research, research insurance review is extremely important to get a, a good idea of what you really should have um, rather than simply, well, it's nice to have a little extra insurance. No, no, this is now a must. It's actually a part of the overall financial plan. And depending upon what type of insurance you get, it may not be that expensive for the amount that you get too. If you're getting a term policy and if you pass away you might have five hundred thousand dollars of term and it's really not that expensive to get that and the value of that to provide for your kid especially if it's a young kid is astronomical because that money can also be invested while the kid's growing up if the child's really young and then you're going to gain a lot of compound interest on that and it's going to be a lot more than five hundred thousand for when the kid can actually use it for that wedding school or anything that they're going to use that for so it, there's different types of insurance and some are makes more sense for other situations. But if it's just a term policy, that's, that's cheap insurance for you right there. And it's going to provide the comfort that your kid's taken care of when you're no longer around. But there's also the disability insurance, which is on the other hand, and lots of people have disability through work and that's great. It's a lot better than having nothing. 
but it may not cover the amount that you actually need if you were to become unable to work. So you need to go through with your financial planner to make sure that, okay, this is how much I'm going to get if I break my leg and I can no longer work. And it's not, it's actually not adequate enough to cover your expenses. So you might have to get another separate policy on your own to supplement that difference to make sure that, okay, if I get hurt, I'm not going to be killed by this in my financial plan. It's going to be okay until I get back. And the last one that I want to mention here is to increase your emergency fund. I know we talked about having an emergency fund, but make sure that you have enough in there. There are lots of unforeseen expenses when it comes to kids. And I'm not saying to put it in your bank account necessarily. There are lots of safe investments right now with no volatility that earns a lot of interest. Um, for example, a money market fund, it's earning four and a half, sometimes even more than that right now and there's no volatility to this investment so it's going to be there when you need it and it's also going to be growing a lot more than your bank account so having money in your bank account right now is it's a wasted of opportunity to do that we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson don fox and mitch fox are here from fox group private wealth management you can find out more at donfox.net you can call them at ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420 we're going to take a quick break here we're coming back you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. So, uh, Don, I know you love making the predictions at the end of the year and then going back and checking it out. So what's your record this year? Or should I say you or <laughs> just the information around you? <laughs> well, Scott, you know what? I'm not a big one to actually predict because you're almost guaranteed to be wrong. I, it's longer term planning, as, as we talk about all the time. And yes, uh, it's kind of funny. We have a crystal ball in our office just to, you know, put an exclamation point on that because we get I had so many people ask questions. So what do you think this is going to happen? What do you think about real estate? What do you think about this? And you know what? We all have opinions. But at the end of the day, they're opinions and not predictions. And there's some really high paid people that their only job or one of their only jobs as analysts or economists is to make predictions. So I love going back to these extremely smart people and see how did they fare in 2023? And I've done this for the last few years. Um, it, let's just say it was dismal. Okay. <laughs> Forbes actually came out and said what, it was one of the most dismal years for predictions was last year for 2023. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like when someone forecasts the weather, it's like a hundred percent chance of rain and then it's sunny somehow. <laughs> yeah. The, the, these are not too far. The thing is what I find about predictions, they actually, and again, it's not too different from weather, Mitch is a lot of people will say, okay, I'm planning my day. Oh, it's going to rain. I'm not going to golf today as an example. And then it turns out to be sunny and they, they cancel their golf game. So it affects their life. Well, not in a very small way. When it comes to financial predictions, it affects their life in a large way. People actually will start to believe this stuff and they'll start thinking, okay, well, maybe I got to be more conservative. I saw so many articles in, the, in 23 about GICs being a great place to put money. 
a great place to put it in money market funds. And GICs are paying, say, 5%, or money market funds are still paying 5%. And yes, very good returns. And again, they're safe. Well, inflation running around just over three. After you pay tax on 5%, you're generally losing to inflation. So yeah, that safe is not great. But at least, you know what, if it's, it, it still come, came down to matching your goals with the investment. And that hasn't changed. But it's kind of interesting um, reading some of the analysts, Canadian area, Canadian stocks were the place to be. This was a, one of the predictions. U.S. probably should be one of the areas you want to decrease your holdings. Uh, Europe and, and emerging markets would be one of the, again, a very good place to have money. Well, it's kind of interesting. If we did a quick roundup, and I can't wait to get Philip Peterson um, in the next week or two to go through the last quarter and the 2023 in review. He does such a great job. But I'll just do a quick little roundup. Uh, crude oil prices actually were down 11.5%. They decreased. The U.S. large cap stocks were 24.2%. U.S. small cap, which are smaller companies, were up about 14%. U.S. real estate up almost eight. Chinese equities down 12 and a half. Japanese equities actually were the winner last year on average at 30.1%, hitting all-time highs. And, and they've been in the doldrums for a lot of years, so that's, that's great to see. Canadian equities, drum roll, 8.1%, okay? One of the worst performing markets. In fact, the only one worse than was emerging markets, if you want to look at a broader base, which was 7.1%. European equities did about 17.3%. Commodities, which again is has a lot to do with uh, the Canadian market. It was minus 12. Gold was 13%. And uh, U.S. bonds was about 6 So we don't, we don't have all the data yet, um, as we're still formulating. But end of the day, it's it's quite interesting how many people were so worried about their portfolio in 23? Some, unfortunately, couldn't handle the press. And they said, you know what, Don, I have to just go with the safe GIC. You know what, we haven't been making any money here. Sure, 22 was a negative year. And it's hard to sometimes get away from that noise. And this is, way some, this is what I was mentioning earlier. The predictors or the analysts or the economists that make these predictions have an effect. They actually affect some of the behavior of investors. And this is why the average investor underperforms the stock market because they read all this stuff. And by the way, negative news, of course, we always know sells a lot more than positive news. So they, they read all this stuff and it starts to affect behavior. It's an, another great example of that is the, the, the talk around a recession. My goodness, we've been talking about or dancing with a recession for I don't know how long, how many months now, which, of course, is two quarters of negative growth. Um, but, you know, if, if that buzz gets into the psyche, whether you're on this side of a recession or the other side of the recession, people think that they're in a recession and to them it feels like it. So they might as well be in one. And people are afraid of that word recession. It's funny, actually, there's a higher chance, slightly higher, not much higher. It's about 50-50, but there's a slightly higher chance that you'll actually get a positive return in a recession um, because the big negative years were actually before it. So people shouldn't be 
too afraid of a recession. It's actually the years before that are worse than the recession uh, historically. So it, all the negative news that comes out, it really does drive the emotions of all of investors. And that's when we get more questions uh, constantly when the news is negative all the time, especially with war, inflation, COVID. There's so many hot topics <laughs> just in the last few recent years. And when things are really negative like that we get a lot of comments um and then it's total opposite way when the market's hot people, they still pump out recession as they say they're still going to come down and dump like it was the most hated bull market just a few years ago it wasn't that long ago it was just before covid it was the most hated bull market and then recently say oh now we're going to that huge recession right now it's uh it really does pump the negative emotions through investors and it does misery, and it, misery loves company misery loves oh. company well, and, and you know what? When you make a decision, then you want to find your friends that made the same decision. You know, they want to have other people and they're trying to tell everybody else, oh, you should be out of the market because basically they made that decision. They want, like I said, misery likes company. They want to have that yeah. same same thing. Yes, Mitch. Yes, yeah, that confirmation bias. It's like, well, at least we're all in this together. We're either going up or we're going down together. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. On average, three to four years are positive. So if you look at that, only 25% chance you're going to be right it's a negative year. And so I'll take, I'll take the odds as positive a lot more than negative. And I, I would must say I'm more optimistic. Being in this, in this business now for 38 years, we've seen all sorts of reasons why the market will do poorly. And, and it's kind of interesting. The analysts didn't see um, interest rates this high or, or inflation being this elevated. They actually thought it would, which you think should have hurt things. But as it turns out, um, going into 23, they thought the economy would at least slow down, if not going into a recession, as you mentioned. In fact, the U.S. ended the year at, at a growth rate at 5%, and it never did get negative. Again, U.S. did better than Canada. We Canada has a, has a few other things that aren't as robust, say, and uh, there's a lot of pent-up demand for we're spending still. So it was the consumer that was still out there. The labor market was great, and... So stocks, as it turned out, had a runaway year for the U.S. Now, you got to be a little, you know, I'd say question this whole runaway, though, because I know the U.S. stock market, and this would be the Standard Poor's 500, did 26.4%, including dividends. And you think, oh, that's amazing. Well, almost half of that was based on seven stocks. And this is called the Magnificent Seven. And these seven stocks were Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, which is really Facebook, Microsoft, Navita, which is um, was the AI, and Tesla. You take those out, and you basically lost half of the return. Now, all these people would lo love to talk about how if you take those out, well, really, it was still only 12%, which, by the way, is still a great return, 12 or 4, 13%. But they will, at the end of the day, it still did that return. Yeah, and, they should they should almost get like a separate index just for that, those seven. Yeah, and then this year they're going to say, well, that seven changed. It used to be FANG stocks. They have different names for, basically, they like to, the these economists like to say, okay, well, I would have been right if it wasn't for this. <laughs> <laughs> Which really turns out you're just wrong. And so this one here was was an interesting year for those people. Um, most got it absolutely wrong. And the clients that stuck to the plan did extremely well. 
They um, for balanced portfolios. Um, saw a client uh, this past week went through the returns are just started coming in. Um, and a 60 40 mix was around 10% last year. And for ones that were in, in, a, in a diversified portfolio of equities, it was, you know, up to, and again, this would include growth stocks, which would be the ones that did extremely well, such as the NASDAQ, which was over 44%. But even the Dow was about 15% or 16%. So the Dow is more conservative. Canadian stocks actually brought down the returns. So a well-balanced portfolio averaged about 14% last year of equities. So you can see how, what a difference a year makes. Because a year ago, we were on this show talking about how the U.S. stocks were the worst performer, down over 20%. And the Canadian stocks, thank God we had Canadian stocks, they're only down minus five. <laughs> and, and the only thing that was even, you know, bonds were even worse. So cash was the only place that made money. So what happens? People extrapolate. They take a look at what has recently happened, and they just kind of add the dots to it. Well, this is what it will continue to do. And the analysts weren't too much different than this this year. They thought, well, the Canadian market will do a lot better with energy and the in the financial sector. Turned out those are poor sectors to be in. And the U.S. will do very poor. In fact, almost all analysts said that the value companies would outperform growth companies in 23. And again, they were dead wrong with that. So I guess for the average listener out there, they're thinking, well, who should we be believed on? What should we do? And, and the funny thing is, is the more money you have, the more you're probably listening, okay? Or you, at the end of the day, you have to trust somebody to, to run this. Because if you're sitting here with $5 million invested and it goes up 10%, Okay, there's a $500,000 gain. Well, generally clients will say, well, hey, you know what? You made me 10%. But when there's a minus 10%, that's a $500,000 decrease in your portfolio. And they don't talk about percent then. They talk about dollars. They talk about how my portfolio was down $500,000. And yeah, it's still 10%. So money is extremely emotional, kind of, Think back and talk percent on everything. Percent is what matters because your portfolio has compounded and you will make, if you start making judgments based on your dollars going down, again, it will have a more negative impact. And I know the media loves to do that too. They want to talk about dollars on the downside. And, and while it wasn't that great of a year, it was only, you know, say 8% return. Well, 8% is still really good. I think most Canadians would have loved an 8% return on average on their portfolio. And so this is where we look at the overall plan. And investment planning is just part of it. But we're dealing with clients generally with over a million dollars. And so when you're dealing with that, you look at the bigger picture. And a well-balanced portfolio, as I said, ranged from about 10% to 14% last year. But that's one year. What about the last 10 years? And normally, a balanced portfolio was about just short of 7% in the last 10 years. And an equity portfolio was closer to about 9% in the last 10 years. And that would include Canadian equities, emerging markets, international equities, and U.S. equities. That includes all of them. And that also includes some rebalancing. And it's hard to sell when things are doing great. Okay, ask anybody that owned crypto back a couple of years ago. 
And you saw Bitcoin, I don't know, how high did it get up to? 65, 80,000, something like that? It was close to 70. So Bitcoin was at 70,000 one time. And there was all these other things. And U.S. stocks, Shopify was killing it, digital, Peloton, all these kind of um, pandemic stocks. We're all hitting all these record highs and all justifying why they were up there. Well, it's hard to take profits. It's hard to say, I'm going to sell something when it's doing great and buy and rebalance then. And that's really what you're doing. You're taking some profits off the table and moving this in a lower performing asset class. And this is what rebalancing is about. And you shouldn't do it that often. You shouldn't do it every, every month or every maybe every once a year tops. You want to see enough difference that it makes a difference in your portfolio. I was at a conference uh, oh, about five or six years ago, and they actually showed that rebalancing portfolio too often actually hurt you. Um, basically, you didn't let the horses run. Okay, they're doing really well. And you say, that's oh, enough. You can't run anymore. And so they said they don't like to make changes until there's a 10% difference. So if you wanted 25% in, say, US, and it got to 30%, well, it's a 5% difference. Well, that's actually a 20% increase because you went from 25 to 30. And so that's where you say, okay, well, let's bring it back to 25 again. Um, but if it only went from, say, 25 or 25.5, don't rebalance it. Make sure there's a sizable enough difference. And so rebalancing your portfolio is part of the strategies. What it does, it re reduces your risk and it gets you back on site. And it takes some of that human emotion out of greed where people want to say, hey, I don't want to sell that one. That one's great. Or I don't want to pay, sell that one because I have to pay tax. Why would I want to put money in that loser? Because look at how poorly it's done in the last year. That's rebalancing. And so if I could say anything right now, it's a great opportunity to look at your portfolio. For those listening, great idea to sit there and say, okay, how does this fit in my overall plan? Do I have the right asset mix going on for 2024? We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, credit cards. Obviously, this time of the year, you're starting to feel the pain, the pinch. What's the advice here? Yeah, I mean, we're mid-January here, and I'm sure a lot of people are maybe not openly, willingly to open their credit card bill yet, or maybe they've been alerted because now it's a lot of people don't actually get the paper statements anymore. It's usually just on their app and they maybe they're avoiding that app at this time after all that Christmas shopping. But uh, yeah, credit cards have become very essential and used to be cash is king, but now credit cards, they account for a majority of all purchases, especially after COVID when people really stopped paying with cash or didn't even accept it. So credit cards can be a really useful tool, uh, managed properly. Uh, 
allowing cardholders to build credit, earn cash back, travel points, or you can get really valuable perks that can sort of pay for it. If you do enough travel and you go to all these lounges and stuff, uh, it, you can definitely make more from that and save from all the expenses that you pay for uh, than the actual credit card costs. So managed properly, credit cards can be a very useful tool, but if they're not, they can be detrimental to your financial plan. So if you're holding a balance on your credit card, paying it off, that's task number one. So make sure that you're paying that off. But here's some strategies to enjoy the benefits and stop carrying a balance. So first thing you should do is examine your spending habits. And it may seem obvious, but you can't improve on something if you don't understand it. And I know we go through cash flow with every client. That's something that we do every single time. And I would say that most people can account for 70 to 80% maybe of their expenses. And then it gets really foggy. And I would also say 90 to even 100% of the time, clients are saying, wow, I didn't realize I spent this much. Or and it's actually kind of rare when they say, oh, we didn't realize we could spend more. But it does happen as well. Um, but most of those purchases are made on your credit card. And that 20% that they can't account for is typically the amount that gets on that credit card. And it might be the last little bit that they are having struggle, uh, struggling to pay off. So make sure that you're examining your spending habits and maybe there's something that you can knock off. And because a lot of things are automated too. There's so many automated payments now, your Netflix, your Amazon, all these subscriptions, automated deliveries. Like you drink COVID and you get toilet paper automatically delivered all the time. So there might be some <laughs> automatic, automatic stuff just being delivered to your house and you don't kind of realize that it's really racking up on your credit card because it's just easy and automated and sometimes it's tougher to go on your computer and cancel and it could be clogging up your credit card statement without you really realizing that that $50 a month expense is really adding up and adding interest. And 2024, isn't it a great time just at the beginning of the year to just look at all those automated items and which ones you really are using. I, I kind of look at it, it, it's like clothes. If you haven't put on the clothes for a few years, you probably could actually get rid of them unless you didn't know they existed because they just got buried. But it's like, okay, let's empty out the closet a bit. It's like a fresh start. And I find that with um, a lot of the credit card bills. If you're not using, say, Disney Plus, get rid of it. Why do you want to pay this $13 a month or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, you can always restart that. You don't, maybe your resolution should be right now, early January to go through your credit card statements and see, okay, which ones am I using? And I mean, looking at your clothing, you might get a little emotional about how much you used to love that shirt. But if you wear it once a year and it's clogging up your closet, get rid of it. You can find something better. So you can do the same thing with your credit card, eliminate stuff that you're not using. And one of the most important things to do is to pay more than the minimum. The minimum payment on your credit card is around 2% of the previous month's balance. And the problem is if you only pay the minimum, the majority of that money goes towards the interest, usually accumulating at 20%, not the principal that you actually owe. So paying that minimum is pretty much what the credit card companies want you to do and they love people they're just paying the minimum and basically just giving them pure profit and that's how credit card companies are really making good money off of you um, one thing that you can do and people don't actually know this too much and negotiate a lower rate a lot of times you don't 
no if you don't ask kind of thing so if you're gonna you can act if you are struggling with your credit card debt you can call the lender that's giving you this credit card and you can ask for a lower interest rate and sometimes may do it for you and the reason why is that banks simply they 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 rather get money paid than get no money paid so if you're not paying them because the interest is too high well, okay well maybe they'll lower the interest rate and then you'll actually start paying it off so it helps to be a long-time customer and you can demonstrate a hip history of timely payments to get this negotiation a little bit more often but it, it has happened that you can call and you can get this paid off um, another one that is it's it's a debt swap so you can actually get a line of credit so even if it's an unsecured line of credit i've right now people are getting unsecured at around 11 to 12 percent line of credit and you could pay off your credit card with that and it might save you eight to 15%, which is a lot depending upon the balance. So if you're not able to pay it off, which is not ideal, at least then you're getting rid of the 20% or even higher 25% interest that you're paying on this and you're switching it to a lower uh, rate, uh, rate of interest. So it's not costing you as much. You might be able to pay it off sooner. And the, the last one that I want to mention is Make sure you're paying off your credit card before you're investing. I know investing is great and you're making money. You, you might be making 5 to 7%. I know Don just mentioned that an average portfolio for balance is around just under 7 So, But if you're earning just under 7 over the five years for that investment, but your credit card's costing you 20 you you should really be paying off that credit card because you're losing more than you're gaining. So make sure that you're talking to a financial planner about which one you should be doing before just doing it on your own. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to take a uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. You know, as a, as a boomer, and I really, uh, I don't want to debate this because I'm not a boomer, but that's another, that, that's a statistical debate. But anyway, it seems that boomers have been blamed for a lot recently. It subsided a little bit because I guess millennials are getting kicked around. But <laughs> it, why are we always blaming boomers? And is that really the way to go? Okay, Scott, I don't know what statistics you're looking at, but born between 1946 and 1965 is a boomer. No, 1960, 1960. The the oh. plane leveled out in 1959. That's the end of the boom. Come on, that's not a, that's not a demographic. It's a family reunion. Okay, I'm a proud boomer, Scott. You should just you know just be that. Just own it. Own it, Scott. Okay. So, but being born, I am a late part of the boom, and uh, meaning we basically Scott and I we didn't have anything left because all the older boomers took everything before us. That's so, right. But it is still, at this stage, a quarter of the population. And it's kind of interesting. We get blamed in for, for the economy quite a lot, saying, well, look at this boom. It's going to come up and use up all the resources and the government, and they just get all these free rides, and it's hurting the economy. It's all those damn boomers. 
<laughs> okay? And it's kind of funny. We, during our life, we led in various movements. Equal rights was one of them. Environmental protection. Greater personal choice. And lots of freedoms. So, yes, a myth. I'll, I'll, you know, being a boomer, I guess we're both biased here, Scott. But uh, myth. Ruining the economy. Draining government resources and hoarding wealth. That's what we're being kind of told that we're doing. The actual facts. We are continuing to contribute more to the economy than any earlier generation. Um, and and we actually changed the mandatory retirement from 65 because, you know, there was a kind of a mandatory everybody had to retire at 65 because you're kind of old. Well, I guess 65 is almost like the new 55 because it was always a dream, Freedom 55, back a number of years ago. In fact, one of the financial institutions trademarked that and, and called it one of their products, Freedom, Freedom 55 product. Well, it turns out that the average age has actually gone up by three years for retirement, that is. Average age of retirement has gone from 62 to 65. And that falls right into the boomer's lap. And a lot of this is because we are allowed to work longer. And not necessarily because we want to work longer, because we want to work longer. In fact, self-employed people um, are retiring at over 68. So, so much for that Freedom 55 for those boomer haters. We are actually still working and contributing. And, you know, that old age security, you, first of all, you have to qualify. So you have to be you have to be in Canada for over 40 years, no problem. But you have to earn an income of under 87000 a year. And you must reside in Canada for over six months of, of the year to, to still get that. So you can't go away and live in Florida or go to the States for a full year and become a non-resident. You have to be a resident of Canada to get that, call it $700 a month, uh, if you're under between 65 and 70. Yes, there's a 10% increase recently added for those over 75. But, you know, there's a lot of boomers that aren't getting this old age security because they continue to work and they're making a higher income and they're getting a lot of it clawed back. And I know personally, Mitch and I work on this all the time, how to get the most benefits you can. Uh, and this has a lot to do with income planning. Guaranteed income supplement, you have to have an income of basically under $21,000 a year to get guaranteed income supplement. So boomers aren't getting this. And by the way, CPP, this is not a freebie. Okay. Canada pension plan is based on contributions. So the only thing I would say uh, boomers are getting, we do qualify for that $2,000 pension credit. By the way, this is uh, this should have been increased years ago. This has not been indexed at all. I'm sure it should be about $6,000 by now. And it's just stuck at $2,000 for all these years. And we've been doing the show uh, over 20 years now, Scott. And it's always been a $2,000 pension credit. So they're not indexing some of the benefits for seniors. And so, yes, it's still better. $486 in your pocket is better than nothing. But after once you work out this credit, but hey, it should be close to 1000 by now after all these years. Um, discounts are not coming from the government. Discounts are actually coming from businesses. So those movie theater discounts or those drugstore discounts, they know there's a good market there. And boomers um, generally have money. So they are actually attracting the business and giving us a discount. Not quite sure why, but I guess it's all part of the marketing. So in nursing homes, isn't being paid by the government. It's costing 
people that go to nursing homes that are, and again, the boomers are now, the late, the earlier boomers are now getting to that stage. They are paying 2000 minimum out of their pocket every month and as high as 10000 a month, depending on the nursing home. And really, it turns out that almost all older Canadians are fending for themselves. And they are not costing the economy or the government anything at all. So the boomers are rock stars. In my opinion, they are looking after themselves. They've added a lot to the economy. They're working longer. And talk about hoarding. You know what? Hoarding's not a bad thing. Okay? Because when they eventually, these boomers pass on. And who's going to get all this money? Probably the millennials. And yes, the inheritance do remain in the economy. I'd be looking more at the millennials to see what they're going to do with all these inheritance they're going to get. Because I have a feeling there'll be another boom at that stage. But anyway... Don't blame the boomers for the economy. Uh, we're doing just fine. We're pulling our own. We have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another fabulous show. And we'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.